Time for another Monday with oh. Justin Bourne. Go ahead. What were you listening to? A lot of T Swift. Like, a lot. Like, like. Yeah, a lot. It's just Lance playing that right now. I just. And what do you do when you listen to Taylor Swift? Like, there's got to be. Depends some sort on of what dance album. Or, like, no, it depends. Head Bob. And this no, is in the comfort on, of your own home. That's the thing, though, man. It depends on the Taylor Swift album. It really does. This is a discussion I was having with a friend not too long ago. Uh, yeah, see, Lance just hit me with very true. It's, it's right. If you're a T-Swift fan, you know. Bananas, clearly not. So he's like, what do you do? It's like, mm, classic Ben. Not knowing a thing. Not knowing about a thing. Uh, <laughs> that's classic Ben. <laughs> not knowing about a thing in yeah, regards right. to Taylor Swift yeah. and what you do when you listen to that music. No, but yes, not just no. what I do. What everyone does. That's the oh, thing, what? buddy. <laughs> what? I... I'm confused now. Buddy, if you listen to Taylor Swift, you would recognize that every album is so different that it's impossible for you to say, I do one Uh, thing for a certain album. That's why Lance said right away, very true, because he's a Swifty. Because he's in. He's in the club. He knows right away. He's like, boom, this is the answer to that question. You're like out there like, I don't know anything about those things. What do you do? How do you consume this? Anyways, Justin Bourne, Key of Hockey Central, joins us now. Big T-Swift guy or what? (laughs) Guess. No. <laughs> no. Here's Nailed what it, I yeah. here's here's my guess that the, all of the music that you listen to primarily and as yes. with Ben is whatever your kid wants to listen to and that's probably mm. uh. some variation of Baby Shark or whatever today's version of Baby Shark is. That's just the no. last time I checked in on kids music was Baby Shark. <laughs> yeah. Uh no my my kid is uh, kind of like AC/DC Back in Black's jam, little Corey yeah. Hart sunglasses oh, okay. at night. Uh, yeah, that, that is true. You're, it's true. By like, like most people, whatever I was into at like a certain age, which is like university age, that's what I listen to now, like 15 years later. That's where I'm at. Oh, I yeah. I don't have time yeah. to listen to new music. To I try. I make an effort. Yeah, yeah. I genuinely make an effort. And oh, JD, once in a while, no I hit efforts. him up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I always really try and find new music. Unfortunately, I do solicit the opinions of people I care about, but I also yes. find that soliciting advice from... The internet often is, uh, you get very, very bougie advice because no one likes to admit publicly that they listen to trash, right? They like to say, well, this is what I listen to. This is very progressive. And you go, oh my God, and it's so progressive. And you listen to it and you're like, I'll never listen to this again. And so what I actually love is finding new artists on my Spotify in the like created for you albums. But when they do the discover weekly and nothing hits for me on the entire playlist, it's one of the worst things that happens in my entire week. Like genuinely, I feel so sad. No. And that's when I start, start firing texts off to people and asking them, Hey, how do I get this? Where do I get this? Because man, it's just so disappointing. And I had that last week and I was going to tweet about it. And then I thought nobody cares about my selfish spot. Spotify tweets. Correct. Before uh, before we do leaves, I actually have like yeah. a real theory on this. I, uh, mm-hmm. I I give people two recommendations. If you recommend me two songs and I don't like either of them, the third one I might listen to, but after that you're done. So my mm. my go to is when people tweet out their most listened to lists uh, of the year. Like the Spotify mm. list comes out, everyone tweets out their stuff. I grab everyone's top two songs. I say, yeah, I'll give mm. this a try. Like the top two from the whole year. And if I don't like them, we're not. We don't like the same music. So that. And that's you're judging them as people. 
And you're oh, like, why course. are we even That's, friends yes, anymore? Yes, 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 of course. Yeah. I, I always, my top is always Freddie Gibbs, and I'm obsessed with Freddie and, Gibbs. And I have so Freddie Gibbs from you. Yes, I have a bunch of Freddie Gibbs from you. But that's why it's, it's just, uh, it would be just repetitive to constantly be posting that I listen to Freddie Gibbs every year. And whatever, the Freddie Gibbs album is always at the top. So, the Leafs. The Toronto Maple Leafs. The hype train off the tracks and then boom, a couple of losses to the lowly Vancouver Canucks. And who cares? Because everybody knows that the Leafs are good. And everybody knows that, hey, they were a little tired. Maybe there's some stuff we can nitpick with those two games. But ultimately, we're judging this team on the postseason at this point and maybe halfway about what happens in this Winnipeg series. And, and we will talk about that with you. But I want to start with this because this is all I've been thinking about for the last week. And this is all I've been texting with my Leaf friends about. And this is the primary focus of what I think the next month is going to be. So the next month before the trade deadline, to me, there are there is one main question, which is how much do you push into the middle to try and improve this team? Because this season is so rare in terms of your chance, your opportunity to get to a Stanley Cup final. And you don't know, maybe they go back to the, the old divisions next season and you're back in there with Tampa Bay and Boston. You're up against the North Division. And even if you don't necessarily believe the Leafs are runaway favorites in this thing, you have to at least acknowledge that this is a better opportunity for, for them to make a Stanley Cup than ever before. So... These are the questions in terms of how do you improve your team. Number one, does Alex Kerfoot have negative trade value and how important is it to try to move his salary off the books? Number two, is he good enough to be your second line left winger? Number three, how do we feel about Joe Thornton and his fit at the top? And number four, how do you see the third line? And I think if you ask those questions, that that is what is going to formulate the next month for the Leafs. Those are the questions that they are going to try to answer. Did I miss anything on this list? Where are you guys at just in terms of that first question, which is, are you all in? Do you move pieces even if it's Nick Robertson's and Sandine's and multiple first-round picks? Because I think you do. Yeah. Well, yeah, this this is it, right? This is definitely that kind of year. It's always scary when you make a move like that and commit to anything. But, boy, you know, at some point you're, you got to push the chips in and go. I'd say you really nicely summed up uh, my thoughts on where things are at in terms of assessing this team uh, heading into the deadline. What I will say is, I think we're sneaky in the trade deadline window for the Leafs, like now. Correct. Yes. Like, Absolutely. like we might hear tomorrow something because this is uh, they're heading into a slower part of the schedule, and this is uh, you know Elliot has talked about this, so I think I'm, I'm not breaking any news or anything, but they have a couple of weeks where there's not a ton of hockey. If you trade for someone at the trade deadline. Uh, there's 15 Leaf games after the trade deadline, eight of which come in a two-week quarantine period. Or sorry, seven of which. So you would be left with eight games of someone. And you don't, you don't want to do that. You don't want to talk about trading Sandine or Robertson or something like that. And all of a sudden you're getting a guy for eight games in a playoff round to start. That's not, not, not great. So we're kind of there right now. Um, I guess my, my pressing issue with the Leafs or pressing concern is... You know, what What are you going to do with Zach Hyman, who is clearly best on every line? How do you make him three people so you can put him on all the lines? Because Joe Thornton, like the Marner and Matthews are better when they get Hyman. Uh, you know, to me, Mikheyev and Engvall aren't even a thing without Hyman. That's not a line. Yep. You don't name a line without Zach Hyman there. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe you want to start with the Joe Thornton question, what you think about... The decision of do you make the Leafs top heavy with Hyman or do you put Thornton there and hope he can spread the love around? 
Okay, I want to come back there. I just need to know from Ben whether or not you think they're all in. And like I said, by all in, I mean, are you... Are there trades out there where you're actively shopping Nick Robertson, Rasmus Sandin, and first-round picks? First of all, I don't know if it's going to even come down to that. Like, the first-round picks thing, 100%. Like, no, I no, no. Think... but would you? That's what I'm saying, is that you're, yes. maybe it doesn't come down to that, but are you that desperate this year to improve this team, even if it's for, you know, one-off rentals, essentially, right? Yes, yes, and for yeah. the thing, you didn't even mention some of the other things. It's like, okay, you got this one them. season of, of Joe Thornton, and yeah, Jason Spezza is having a renaissance season where his points per yep. game, or points Last per Last year of Anderson. Is, is insane. Last year of Anderson, uh, John Tavares, while well, I don't think he's a nothing. Like, it seems pretty clear that year over year he's not getting better. 100 freaking percent you're pushing as much as you are going to push chips into the middle because that involves not moving one of your top four guys who are going to be around for the duration. So you're still – it's not like, hey, if you don't win a cup this year, you've it's all for naught and you're going back into a rebuild uh, mold for this team. But as much as there is to push chips into the middle – there's no doubt in my mind that the Leafs should be doing that, that they will be doing that. that that's the whole modus operandi of call, uh, Kyle Dubas here for these couple of weeks leading up to the deadline. Okay, so we're all in this spot. And Bourne, you just said your primary question. I think it's mine too. And it, it started this weekend most specifically when Joe Thornton sat the second half of a back-to-back against Vancouver in the third period. And then the next game, he only played 14 and a half minutes. So under yeah. 12 against Vancouver, then 14 and a half in the second game against Vancouver. And all I've been thinking about since is that line has been completely untouchable in terms of how you improve it because Matthews and Marner have been so great, right? And Thornton has not been a negative. He has not drawn away from them. In fact, there has been more positive than good, I would say. But if you have a guy that... You struggle to play 12 minutes one night and 14 and a half the next. It's like, well, where are you with him moving forward? And I, I would say that as popular as he is and as good as he has been and as maybe overreactionary as this would be, I got to think that Joe Thornton, the later you get into the season, the more wear and tear is going to be on him, the more risk you incur about his health and his ability to play deep into these games. And so... Like, does the conversation just begin with this is not the ideal fit for this left wing? And are you putting Hyman there, or is that actually the guy that you're trading for? And if so, where does Thornton go? What what I I think the Leafs have like a unique opportunity to. So I I was having the debate with myself: Are they better off with Joe Thornton up there, Hyman on the third line? Now you've got more lines, you've got more depth, yada yada. Mm -hmm. Or are they best, you know, the other way around, being top heavy? I think what's great is you have the option depending on your opponent. You know, is your opponent four lines deep? Is your opponent top heavy? What is the best way to deal with that specific opponent? So I like the idea that they have options the way it's set up right now. The Thornton thing is, you know, what's tough about it is is I feel like, you know, Sheldon Keefe said about the the, the game where Thornton barely played, he said, I kind of lost him on the bench. And players, are, that's a thing that happens. Like sometimes you miss your, your turn for whatever you know, game situation happens, and then the coach loses you in the next turn, and the other guy goes again. Like, you can get lost on the bench, but I don't know if it's that. I feel like they feel they can't admit when Thornton doesn't have legs, like, because of the old thing. They don't want to start a whole media firestorm. They don't want to say, like, he just didn't have any pop in his step. You know, we thought he looked slow. Um, so dealing with him is, is one way. I think they're careful about admitting that, that whole thing with Thornton, but I personally feel like it's 
he is. We're going to reach a point in the playoffs where they say they have to move him off that line. He's not going to be able to play 15 and a half minutes a night on the top line in the playoff run. So you need to find some sort of solution, even if it's just for sometimes. But I just don't think long term you can say Thornton's the guy. He's going to be there all season. He's going to be there in playoffs. Well, does a hybrid thing work? Because this is not just a protecting a guy coming mm-hmm. off an injury, right? This is the beginning of the season. He starts on that top line and they're chasing a game or they're down a goal in the third period and Hyman was jumping up onto that line anyways. Is that a, is that a way to live? Can you live that way where it's like these are your lines to start and then you've got your closing lines? Yeah. Well, that's some too. It's like I trust that Sheldon can do that. Like it is interesting to be like we these are the guys we have and we're going to use them as we want. We're not married to lines. Uh, you know, it puts some more pressure on the guys to be able to play with anyone and not have, you know, this chemistry and you know who you're going with all the time. I don't know if that's ideal, but I trust that they can do that. I don't know. Yep. It it you just don't like to me you don't like going into it having guys in your top 6 which right now it's like Kerfoot and Thornton where you feel like you have to protect them or hide them or dance around the idea that maybe they're not great fits there. No, this is and and I've got to get back to the main question here. Because the mm-hmm. question is not can the Leafs play Joe Thornton for 12 to 15 minutes a night with the top lines. Clearly they can. Clearly they can do that. They've done it. They're in first place. And Austin Matthews is, despite not playing all of his games with Joe Thornton, having the best season of his career, and so is Mitch Marner. The question is, if you are all in, what are the best ways to improve this team? What are the ways that you can take advantage of that to the ultimate degree? And I think the question kind of comes back to what it was last year, just in a different spot. Last season, we kept saying, hey, the blue line has talent, but you constantly have to be shaking things up because nobody really fits with anybody and that's how I feel about the top six when it comes to left wing is that I like Joe Thornton he's been good for them he clearly has a plus value to the Toronto Maple Leafs and he can do the thing that he's been asked to do so far Alex Kerfoot he's not ideal as a third line center to me but he's been okay as a second line left winger but he's a second line left winger with John Tavares and William Nylander and the way those guys are going right now do you try and improve that spot do you see if Thornton fits there or do you see if someone else that you're trading for goes there like to me it's the left wing in your top six is not perfect you have an internal solution with Zach Hyman but as he's driving a third line and it's been as effective as it's been it's it's more and more difficult for me to say, well, you break that up, and that actually does become a situational thing. Like, I think the Leafs are looking into the market for either a third-line center to fit between those guys or a second-line left winger. And if they go – or a, a first or second-line left winger. And if they go out and get one of those two guys, to me that means Thornton is moving down. And I'm not really sure – that's what I'm saying is, is where you slot him at that point. By the way, if you're doing the power rankings of like how important Zach Hyman is on this team from the way we're talking about him, how every line wow. needs him, it's like, where yep. is he? Just scary, scary how high up he might be when you look at mm-hmm. Matthews, Marner, Hyman? Yep. <laughs> you know, like Freddie Anderson? I, I don't know where you'd want to go, but man, that's uh, he is such an integral part of this. I've also enjoyed, by the way, him... him uh, in quotes, you know, the newspapers are talking to him. Hey, wait, how do you feel about this zip line? You know, you're you're on the hem line. What do you think about this the energy line? And Hyman's like, yeah, it's great. 
You know, like, have you noticed I've been with Matthews and Marner for most of my career? This is awful. But yes. he doesn't seem to care, and that's what I love about him. Um, that I can score 20 <laughs> goals and I'm in a contract year, and you've got me yeah. next to a guy in Mikheyev who has a curse on him where, you know, a Russian sorcerer cackles every time he pumps one into a goalie's crest. Like, it's just, yeah. it's awful. And, hey, Pierre Engvall, I've said it many times. I like Pierre Engvall so far this year. He's been a lot yeah. better upon this return. But, again, I think if you asked him not to play with Zach Hyman and Mikheyev, that it would look like a lot of Pierre Engvall. And that if you put a really good third-line center in there, that, boy, I, I think it would really change things. And now, all of a sudden, you'd be looking at stuff going, well, nothing else matters. So, to me, actually, third-line center is the most important thing. I think that the the winger thing is still more of the luxury because you can move Hyman around and because I do think Kerfoot is fine there. Do we agree on that? Like, is it center over winger for third line or is it winger for top six over third line center? Well, you know what's you know, on my mind right now is just you know the, the Kerfoot thing. When you asked earlier in the show about does he have negative trade value, it's yeah. like – you're trying to fit in a salary, like a player who's really good. Mm -hmm. Like you want an elite player in the top six. I don't know why I have Taylor Hall in my head, but like, okay. Yeah, we all do. Could, yeah, you know, could there be some other... No, thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You don't want him? No. I believe in the loser thing. Like I do. I'm sorry. I just think that there's something to the fact that everywhere this guy goes, they stink. Like, I, I just do. No, I, I agree. I believe in that, too. I, I do think that some guys have bad career luck, but I don't think it's necessarily a pure coincidence when a guy plays, you know, as the key part of many teams and all those teams can't have success. I don't think it's pure coincidence. But still, it's Taylor Hall. He won a Hart Trophy a few years ago. Yep. He's probably better than Kerfoot in your top six. Um, he is. I, I guess this is my thing with Taylor Hall. Not to interrupt, but just quickly, yeah, no, no. is that – I'm oh, sure. Leafs go out and get Taylor Hall, like, and they replace him with Kerfoot. Great. Leafs go out and get Taylor Hall, and it that's your all-in move where you sacrifice meaningful pieces for your future. I I don't know about that. You know, like Sandy and are, Robertson. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, is that? But that's I'm, not what I'm, it's going to cost. How do you know? I, I no would idea. be shocked if that's what it costs. Especially considering the price that they, they paid to get him last year. You think that it's going to be Sandine and Robertson for not, not even... No, but maybe one of them. Like, that's what I'm saying. What, one would be too steep for me in an all-in year, and yet there are other guys where I would say, yeah, no, you move those guys in there. I, I don't know, man. I just... I recognize that what I'm saying is very much things you can't quantify, and I don't know Taylor Hall. I have heard things. Obviously, we all have, but they were more... Um, to do with his earlier years in Edmonton. I don't know how much he's changed since then. Like, I've, I've kind of lost track about uh, the guy off the ice. But I just will say that for a team that has had problems, like, with that top-end compete level in meaningful games, mm -hmm. it would scare me a little bit bringing in the guy who I think fits that mold of you got to wonder where the heart is sometimes in a big game scenario and trying to win a Stanley Cup. That, that's all. I, like, I don't think it's a nothing that in this sport, that guy with that talent has basically been a part of loser after loser and that teams have gotten worse when he's gone there. Like, it's, it's at least a something. I, you know, I, I don't want to speak to it as Taylor Hall exactly, but I will say as a general thing, I, I am a believer in that. Like, it's particularly when you're a key cog. Like, you know, I think of a guy I played with in university in Curtis Glencross and – 
no disrespect to him at all, but you go through his career uh, resume, and he played on bad teams. I don't know if he ever played on a playoff game, but he played on some just bad team after bad team. But the problem is he's not the cog on the team that drives the bus, so I don't blame Glenn Cross. I know he's a good player. He's like the seventh most important guy. That's just bad luck. He, for him, it's bad luck. When you're the guy, when you're Taylor Hall, you're the number one guy or you're the number two guy on a team and your teams are continuously bad, I do tend to think it's more closely correlated with the person uh, than just bad luck sometimes. Well, well it hasn't been all and, miserable for his team, though. I mean, he did get that Devil's team into the playoffs in his Hart Trophy season. Uh, that's true. Yeah, but they, they did in the playoffs. <laughs> I think uh, they lost to the Lightning in five games. Yeah. So um, I think those are his yeah, career play playoff line. games. Right, that's it. Uh, I would say, too, that maybe the case for getting him is that he doesn't need to be the cog. That right. if you get him to buy in and say, hey, dude, you're the luxury piece on this team. You you now get to be what Phil Kessel got to be for the Penguins. Right, right, uh, right. Maybe that works for you. And like I thought Phil got a raw deal, especially considering the teams he was on in Toronto. But... I also think that there's a parallel there to bringing a guy like that in, having him down the lineup. Not to say, you know, Matthews and Tavares or Crosby and Malkin, but the team is obviously highly competitive, and he would slot in as the quote-unquote Kessel on this team behind those guys, right? So maybe it does work. Maybe it does. I just, I would be very, very skeptical about the amount of things that you would push into a trade for someone like that for one year of someone like that. That's all. Um, yeah, but either to be way. Clear, you, but to be clear, you want him. It's just you're worried about what you'd have to give back. Yeah, no. There. Yeah. Listen, I'm not a, a lunatic. Like I can recognize <laughs> that the guy is talented, and I'm saying, yeah. If the if the Sabers call you and say, hey, you can have Taylor Hall, and it's going to cost you a second round pick, you, he's like, yeah, no brainer. We'll take Kerfoot, <laughs> and you give us a second, and we'll move him onto the team. I'm being obviously over the top with the price yes. point here, but yeah, uh, of course, there's a, a, a way you get that done. My fear, my, not my fear. My primary thing would be. If you could go out and get a different left winger or someone else to take oh, – I'm just going to say it. If there's a way that you could get Philip Forsberg, that's the type of deal where you move all the assets into the middle because it fixes everything. If you call Nashville and you say, hey, we will give you Sandine or Robertson, another one of our prospects you like, we'll give you a first, we'll give you some kind mm -hmm. of a third, we'll give you another pick or whatever, and you got to take the Kerfoot contract, and then we get uh, – Philip Forsberg on a, a deal where you eat some money, that's yeah. something where I go, yep, you do that. You do that 100% of the time this year. You don't think twice about it, even if it might cost you something next season or it makes it harder to figure out what your cap picture is. Like, that's the kind of deal I'm talking about here. Well, yeah, like, that's the one where you would pay a premium for them to eat more of the cap so that right. it's almost like a one-for-one -one with the Kerfoot cap and that your questions about signing Hyman and what you do with the goalie position going forward, they're still questions, but they're the same ones that you had now. And it's not more difficult because you got six instead of three and a half. But yeah, that's the where you pay the extra premium for Nashville to, to pay down that $6 million cap hit for the these two years. Yes. So how crushed are we all going to be after this conversation when they're like, they did it, they got Granlund, and like Granlund's a fine yeah. player. He is. He's a good, probably a good addition, but uh, just the hopes are very high, I think, on this season, so I think we're all looking for a big ad, right? Yeah, that's it. I, I just I look at Dubas right now. He's had such a home run off season. Really, he has. Everything that he has done has worked out. Even if you look at Barabanov, I would say that based on his play when he was up the lineup, there's a case to be made for if someone got hurt and you needed to bring that guy in for whatever reason, you could get something. That the risk and the reward of that player has been fine. What's yeah, been the bad Leafs offseason move, right? Like everything has worked. 
Joe Thornton has been amazing. Jason Spezza, amazing. Wayne Simmons, when healthy, amazing. Uh, Boy. Like, uh, I get yeah, it. Boyd. I don't know. <laughs> you go Bogosian. There's nothing. Even Lettinen, when he stepped in, it's very clear that that guy's capable of running a second power play unit and giving you a solid 12 minutes. I, it's been perfect. But yet Joey, there's still... Joey Anderson. Bill. We need more from Joey Anderson if I can nitpick. But anyway, well, he's okay. 22, right? Yeah, yeah, but, but he's 22 that. years old, and I think that the he's still something where maybe he's in the lineup next year, and he's the guy that replaces Boyd, right? Boyd right. gets paid. Boyd goes somewhere. Anderson steps in, and he gets a little bit of burn. Like, that's a future thing. But to me, there actually is pressure on Dubas now still to make this... Uh, Hey, you took every shot possible. Because to me, if they lose in the playoffs, and if they lose because they can't get depth scoring, or because a Thornton gets injured, or he doesn't have it, as you just said, that's where the criticism pops up and goes, wow, now that we're looking back on this thing, you really had a chance to come out of this division like no other year you've ever had. And this mattered so, so much. And all of a sudden, it goes, there's no excuses. If you lose to one of these North Division teams, I think all of the responsibility ends up falling on the front office. And it becomes very, very hot takey in terms of you didn't do enough, even if we didn't know what was out there, right? Like, Will you let them take an L on a deal to get the guy you want? Like, like yes. Just- that's burn what I'm saying. The, and you burn are. the future or whatever just to yes. – just, Yeah, okay. That's that's where I'm at with it. I, I have not seen this team win a cup in my lifetime. I've seen yeah. them make an Eastern Conference final. This is the best chance they've ever had, and it's the best chance – this is the, the reality. This is the best chance the Leafs will ever have in all of our lifetimes to make it to a Stanley Cup final. I, um, I don't see how that's even something no, that you can debate. I mean, it's just, like, statistically true, right? Like, just how much better they are than this division, that you stay within your division for two rounds. I think there's two things that are the most dangerous things you can do in all of sports. One is to be that team just on the outside of the playoffs and, you know, pushing chips in and perennially not good, not good enough to be in the playoffs, mm. not bad enough to draft high. The second is overvaluing your own players. And we saw it a little bit in Vancouver this season, is thinking mm. that you're a little bit better than you actually are. And I'm not saying the front office is doing this, but I would say it's the biggest fear or it's the biggest pushback you will get from Leaf fans is that this team looks so good. That third line looks so awesome. And you know what? The second line has looked its best all season long. Why even tinker with it? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because it hasn't been a consistent thing all season long, and you want to be better. And it is an opportunity once you get out of this division to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, that's that, that. That's the big thing is like getting lost in the results um, and thinking that, you know, we shouldn't change anything because we're having success. It's like you have to be honest about your team and how it's going. And right now, there, there are reasons to believe. You know, we had questions about Kerfit, questions about Thornton. There's questions. There's questions in a number of places. So, yeah, I think you address those before they become – before you get exposed by them. Um, some, something has to happen. They have an opportunity. And I, I, one thing I'm certain of is that they won't do nothing. I am certain they won't do nothing, but I am curious to see just how aggressive they think they should get. Yeah, this isn't going to be a Nick Patan trade deadline. No. Yeah. Where they yeah. go, you know, like we tried, but this is what we got. Dennis Malgin? Right. Oh, Malgin yeah. was bit. Yeah, yeah. Malgin. Wasn't Pear home involved in one of those deals? Yeah, <laughs> now, yeah. Pear, I think Pear, it was Pear for Patan. That was oh, the deal. Yeah. Uh, the Jets and Leafs making a big trade. Now they would never because they're divisional rivals. But yeah, no, they're going to do something... I just really hope it's splashy. I hope it's big. I hope they're the story of the deadline. And I hope that... 
people are furious about the prospects they gave up. Like, truly. Like, I, I hope that they are Love furious that. about the draft picks and that that is the conversation about this team. Normally, I do think that the NHL trade deadline, teams get way out of... Uh, way out of control. It's funny that I'm even taking this position because normally, like, if you guys recall, I was advocating for the Leafs to trade Tyson Berry last offseason, or sorry, last mm. trade deadline, because of what I said before, which is if a team's going to give you a second-round pick for uh, 10 more games of Tyson Berry potential, like, that's nuts. Of course you do that. Of course, of course, of course. And all of these GMs that get to pounce as sellers year over year at the deadline for guys that end up being you know, depth wingers or whatever because your team is trying to show from a, I don't know, an optic standpoint that you've improved or that you're moving all in or that you've done your best. It rarely works out, right? There are very – the, the, the NHL is not littered with examples of teams that went out and got someone at the deadline and it changed the fortunes of the franchise. It's normally, oh, wow, they gave up a first-round pick for that guy and a year later you're at the draft and you got – 18 games of some mediocre player who got you three goals over that stretch? Like, woof, okay, bad trade. <laughs> I, I just think that this is the year where you have to look at it and say, hey, everybody, you know how being a Maple Leafs fan has sucked? Yep. Why has it sucked? Well, it's because they haven't won a Stanley Cup. Cool, got it. So this year you have the best chance to ever get that done, right? We all agree? Okay, yes. Fine. <laughs> then by any means necessary, anybody who says no to me, not a true fan of this team. I'm sorry. I don't care about four years from now when Rasmus Sandin might be running this team and being the best player. Right now, this year, this immediate time where I am alive, I want to see them try and win. Please and win. knowing the way you live, there's no guarantee you're going to see many more years. So it's exactly it has it the pandemic has the pandemic not taught us that this is all very finite and fragile, right? <laughs> like get this thing done, get this thing done this year. So yeah, you know what? Even as I'm saying this, I'm like, yeah, who cares? Give up whatever to get Taylor Hall. Like I don't care. Make sure that this team flip is talented Taylor as possible. Hall now? Yeah, flip. I've flipped already. <laughs> yeah, like, if Taylor Hall's all that's out there, go get Taylor Hall, even though he's been a loser everywhere except for that Devils year. Hooray. I I'm just saying, you, you got to load up. And I do think that it's best player available, but I do think those are the two spots that ideally you're trying to move for, which is a top six left winger, and hopefully that's removing Kerfoot and his salary, or a third-line center. And that a lot of it actually comes back to the fact that they traded Kadri when they thought they had to, and actually turns out they didn't need to, and that it would all be fine if they just had him right now. <laughs> yeah, then you would already have one of those things filled, yeah. and because they're only going to be able to do one, because they only yeah. have one Alex Kerfoot, right? That's it. And it barely even makes the money work, even if the Sabres eat half, which is the maximum you can of the Taylor Hall deal, that still leaves a half million dollars between those two dudes. So yeah, it is truly, it's, it's a decision. Do you do wing? Do you do center? But one of those questions is answered, and then you basically have a perfect team if Nazem Kadri is still on this team. You sure ah, do. Ah, that hurts. <laughs> Yep, it's, it's a so bad trade. It's a real bad trade. It's uh, the worst. Yeah, it's, uh, hey, I really don't think that you can do much worse than that trade. I'll be honest. So let's just bring it back to that then, and then we'll move on. We'll take a break, and, and we'll do uh, some stuff on tough matchups. But do we think Alex Kerfoot at that contract has negative trade value? Like if you're including him in a deal, say the, the Philip Forsberg one or the Taylor Hall one, one of those deals where clearly they have to take him back. Is that a player that you think organizations say, no, that's fine, actually, it's just a neutral asset? Or do you think he's mm -hmm. someone where they're going to say to you, well, because we have to eat him and that money, you got to throw in X amount of either prospect or draft pick capital on top of the deal? 
No, I think I think he's a neutral asset. I think the Leafs okay. can argue that he's a plus asset, and I think teams will try to do the opposite, and he end up a kind of a wash because he is prime age player, skates really well, kills some penalties, you know, plays his wing, plays center, he works hard, like he's versatile, he's he does a lot of good things. So I think he's a neutral asset, but you know, on this Leafs team, the problem for me is that is exactly the neutral thing. It's like, where are you getting plus value? What does he do better than an average NHL player? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, you, you know, he is, he's like the definition of an average NHL player to me. You know, a no. little smaller, works a little bit harder. I don't know. No, no the, the best moments. thing you can say about him is that he looks okay as the second-line left winger. But, yeah, it doesn't pop. It's like you could do, still do way better than him uh, alongside Tavares in Nylander. But uh, I'm with you. I think he's a neutral asset. It's not, yeah. it's not burdensome to, to take him on, uh, even if you're going through a rebuild phase. And that's the way I think he'll be used uh, as we approach the trade deadline. All right, let's come back yeah, and more. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to take a break. One last thought? No. Uh, I just say that that's how I view him on every line. So like you put him at wing on the, the Tavares and Nealander line. I'm like, yeah, it's a neutral. They're not better or worse for having him. Put him at right. third line center. Yeah, you're not better or worse than you would be with anyone else. It's just neutral. Neutral, neutral. Dude, he should be the new spokesman for a neutral brand vodka drink, <laughs> right? Like he should. <laughs> but yeah, that's a I'm spike neutral. drink I'm with a neutral. some pep to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, more with Justin Bourne. As good shows. Leafs Hour continues. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. So I think we all Taylor agree Swift? that the... I'll punch you. <laughs> Are you serious? Not at all, no. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> Show is about to get off the rails right there, buddy. <laughs> like, you know what? Actually, if you really hated me and you wanted me to get fired for pasting a teammate, like, that would have been Shania the moment. Are you diehard? <laughs> oh, my God. Like, truly, the uh, yeah. My queen. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. No, that was about to get out of control. Buddy, is the kid from Whitehorse Yukon who grew up in the prime of that album uh, a big fan of Shania? Uh, yeah. Uh, you better believe it, buddy. Um, so, the Leafs are in a good spot. Whew, still trying to calm down a little bit there from the <laughs> huge spike in Engine my heart. Rev. Yeah. Oh, all right. This should be good. This should be good. Leafs are in a good spot. And part of that is ever since Sheldon Keefe kind of called out William Nylander, benched him, not kind of, did, benched him, has a good game, says that he controls his perception. Justin Bourne writes an incredible article on him. All of those things lead to what? I would say the most consistency we've seen from William Nylander over a four-game stretch in a while. Like, this guy looks great. Do we think, are we buying stock that this is a actual William Nylander breakthrough? And whatever Sheldon Keefe has done here, that there has actually been an unlocking of something. Because he was buzzing in that Vancouver series, and a lot of guys were flat and having a, a tough go. I thought he was their best player over the course of the two games uh, the, against Vancouver. And there's a case to be made that he was their most impactful one for stretches in, against Edmonton. Yeah. I don't know if there's been a breakthrough, but like this is why when everyone clamors to trade him, it's like you, you forget that every star goes quiet for stretches of time. Matthews is back from injury and not a, not clicking it is quite at his best and Marner's slowed down a little. And a game like that, that's when Willie can be your guy. They didn't win the game, but boy, you know, his line was not the fault for that. I thought he had the puck a lot, he controlled the pace a lot. Um 
And, you know, he on that side of it is why you get frustrated because you know it can look like that. But, boy, he has found uh, found his game here in the past, you know, whatever it is, a handful of games, I guess you'd say, um, and, and looked to be one of the one of the only guys really going against the Canucks. And, you know, not, not, to, not pretty performances, but he was certainly great. Yeah, the numbers, there's actually numbers to back this up, despite, like outside of even the goal scoring. But, yeah, 16 shots, 5-on-5 five five over the last five. That's a team high over that span and he had six on nine attempts on Saturday he is actually producing to what the eye would tell you Mm -hmm. and do I think now that this is the William Nylander game for the rest of the season I mean maybe but this is also part of everybody has dips everybody has right even Austin Matthews is having a dip right now but yeah Mm -hmm. um I do believe in there being a causation because of correlation. Uh, I believe it's not dissimilar to the Nick Nurse, Terrence Davis thing of a year ago where some guys just need to have their cage rattled and maybe it lasts a couple of games, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month. But yeah, this is not, hey, William Nylander is not going to look this good, I don't think, the rest of the season, but I do think that uh, what Sheldon Keefe did had an impact. So why it's so great to not overreact and not, you know, ship the guy out of town because you don't like a run of his games and you know how good he can be. It's you know, that's when other teams are, are looking to take someone off your hands who's a pretty good player at a discount. So, no, it, it's it's looked really good for them. And you just love to see – you just love to see it happen without needing to kick. But some people do. And I'll be honest, as a player, once in a while, I needed a kick in the butt too. Uh, it, it's a certain personality type or whatever it is. But not everyone needs the carrot all the time. Yeah, I just – I think I used this reference last week. For something else, and maybe it just shows you that I watched this show too many times or that it consumed too big a part of my life. But I just think about the Stringer Bell 40 degree days, you know? Oh, uh, ain't is... nobody got nothing yeah. to say about a 40 degree day. 50, that brings a smile to your face. And it's like, that's William Nylander is just like, y'all are giving me way too many 40 degree days. And that's <laughs> it. And that's William Nylander to me always this season was it was just way too many 40 degree days. And Lately, it has not. It's, you know, it's been 50. That's been bringing a smile to my face. So, yeah. uh, I, what? You've used this analogy. It's now, I think, into like three times on the program. <laughs> I don't care. Because, you know what, though? Don't, it's go a back in, don't go back in my writing and then search for Lord of Rings references. Because there was like <laughs> a five-year span where every eighth article was a reference to Mordor. <laughs> anyway, all I'm saying is that. It, it fits, all right? It's a great reference. It's a great show. It's a great character. I don't care if I use it too much. In great fact, show. I would love to be associated with that quote in some way, you know? Like, that's fine. I'm good with it. So, yeah, you I think we live in the 40-degree temperature range. You're hot and cold. You don't exist in the middle. <laughs> I, I think Nylander, there's been something to it. And, yeah, to say that he's going to have a perfect season the rest of the way, of course not. But I, I'm with Ben. I think that it is a correlation causation thing. And also, I wonder how much this is true. Is it just that all this guy needs to do is shoot more? Is that the whole question? Yes. That, of course, that's it. but that was it going into the season. He said it right I know, out of the gate. but that's what I mean. And then he scores <laughs> early, it. and then he was like, oh, I need to shoot more. Yes, of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. When you have that type of shot, when you have that kind of offensive skill set, put but... the puck towards the net. But he needs to get to places where he can shoot. He needs to move his feet. You know, you can't just have the puck and fire it from the boards and give it to the goalie. Like, to me, the getting shots comes from moving his feet to getting in better spots that are worthwhile to shoot from. 
But isn't that the, the big point of this Leaf season is that the shot totals have not been exorbitant, but I think they're first in the National Hockey League in slot shots, right? Like the quality of yeah, shots. they have Austin Matthews. Yeah, that helps. But yeah, this, yeah, they're not firing it from everywhere. If you look at um, you know a lot of stats of Zach Hyman, it's actually an interesting thing, like where Matthews and Marner, they get more attempts with Joe Thornton on the ice, you know, per 60 minutes. But when Hyman's on the ice, the, the shots come from dangerous places. So they get more actual raw shots and dangerous shots with Hyman on the ice and more, more attempts with Thornton. So Hyman, every line he's with, gets more dangerous because he goes to the net. He goes to the crease. He brings it to the crease. He stands in the crease. Everything happens at a more dangerous part of the rink when he's out there. I always am hesitant to gush about Hyman to a degree because I know that he's the type of player that this market just loves, right? The dude who shows up every single night and makes the most of his talents. But, yeah, even when you said the thing about how many players are more important than Zach Hyman, I said on this show last week, if it was up to me whether or not you'd rather have Morgan Riley at whatever number he's going to command a year from now or Zach Hyman mm-hmm. at the money he's going to command this offseason, I'm taking Hyman. I just think he's so important to this team. And, yeah, like there's a reason why he's the fixer for every line. And, it, like, now his, I think his scoring ability is a little underrated. Like some of the shots I've seen him take this year, I go, oh, wow, that actually is very different from the guy you were two years ago. Uh, some of the patience around the net, similar things. He just looks like he's playing with a lot of confidence. And, yeah, it's why when we're doing the whole, hey, well, what's the priority? Is it this or is it that? It's like, well, yeah, you always do have that option to put him on any ro- on any line. And so you kind of can do the best player available thing to a certain degree, knowing that you can move that piece around. I'm in my head right now as you're saying that. I'm thinking you can give one guy 6.25 by five years and you can lose the other guy, Riley and Hyman. Oof. <laughs> it's so much 6. money for 2. Hyman. 6.25? I know. That's not, like, we're getting, this Who's is getting crazy that in the pandemic? Guy, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He was no, but You guys, but he's a 30-goal scorer. I mean, yeah, he's, I he was on pace for 30 goals last year. We're talking about how essentially is. Oh. Riley's already taken heat as a you yeah. know bit of a defensive liability here and there. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's not a complete non-question. Yeah. Part anyway. of my argument is that Hyman would cost you less. But here's right. the other part of the argument, if we're, and we will end up doing this someday. But for me, it's simply, well, what do you have more of? Do you have a bunch of Zach Hyman's on your team? No. Mm, wouldn't seem low. Do you have a bunch of guys who were left shot defensemen who could, like, do I think Who aren't that as good Rasmus- as Morgan Riley, but give a, a better a Riley facsimile yeah. than yeah. whoever the fill is, fill-in is for Hyman would give a Hyman facsimile? There is no Hyman facsimile. That's no. the point, is that those guys, even around the league, how many guys are like him? Yeah, he's on and that's why he's going to be able to command that money. Yeah. You know, it's, it is. It's, it's a really I, – I, I feel like this conversation runs the risk of, of sounding terrible at some point, but I, uh, as it sits right now, I don't think it's that ridiculous an ask. No, I'll bank on the guy who shows up uh, every single game with 100% effort. Uh, like you, Bourne, you show up every Aww. Monday, 100% effort, <laughs> sort of. Uh, see you, buddy. Thanks, guys. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Uh, when we if come back, Warren did have back. an agent, if he had an agent, his agent would have been like, don't laugh when people say that. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, but he did. Can't take it back.